Welcome to American Indian Living, a program developed by the Native Education and Health Initiative to improve and enhance the health of people throughout the Native communities. American Indian Living is hosted by Dr. David DeRose, a board-certified specialist in both internal medicine and preventive medicine. Dr. DeRose has a wide range of experience with Native health issues, and he's ready today to help you learn more about your health. Here's Dr. DeRose. Welcome to American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Today we're doing a show from a venue that has become very familiar to many of you if you're regular listeners. The venue is Yuchi Pines Institute. I have been here for the last few days not only conducting radio interviews but speaking at a medical conference the beauty of being in this setting is not only catching a vision for some of the exciting things happening at this innovative medical facility, but also being able to interview some great guests who have come from nearby as well as from around the country. One of those individuals is sitting across from me right now. Her name is Magna Parks Porterfield. She is a Ph.D. in counseling psychology. Magna, it's great to have you with us. And it's great to be here. Magna, I can't think of many people that I would rather have in the studio right now to talk about our subject, Keys to Optimal Mental Health, than you. Really? I feel good about that. (laughs) No, it's true. We've had a chance to meet uh, some years back, and I was so glad to hear that you were one of the presenters here as well at the Mm -hmm. conference. So I'm just excited because I know you've got a new book out on this topic, right? Yes, yes. Just hot off the press about a month or two ago. Wow. Keys to Optimal Mental Health. Everybody today seems to be talking about mental health, whether it's depression, whether it's anxiety. I give lectures. People come up to me during the breaks talking about a child with ADHD or uh, someone with autism. All these issues, we're being bombarded with mental health concerns. Are are there really simple things that we can all do to improve our mental health? Oh, yes, very simple things. You know, and and what's amazing is a lot of this, well, some of this I didn't even learn when I was getting my Ph.D. Okay. But the science is just, um, there's so much science out there and showing simple steps that can be taken, not only for people who have diagnosable disorders, but just to enhance mental well-being in general. Really? So what you're saying is the things we're going to talk about today, if someone's just tuned in, it's not just for someone who's got a mental health disorder, but anybody who wants to perform better mentally? That's right. Anybody. You're you're promising to tell us some stuff that's going to help us? I'm promising. Oh, wow. You have my word. Okay. Well, let's dive into it. What what kind of a list do we need to cover as far as this topic? Oh, well, there's so much. We'll see how much we can cover in this time period. Fair enough. What I call the foundational piece is Mm -hmm. lifestyle. Okay. Uh, I'll just list the things and then we can go back. Lifestyle and Uh mental health. Then we have how we think, our thoughts and Mm -hmm. mental health. Then we have an issue called self-control and how Mm -hmm. that is important for mental health. Okay. The conscience and mental health. Wow. Something that's new in the last 20 years, something called post-traumatic growth, learning how to grow as a result of adversity. Wow. And mental Uh health. Um, Religion, spirituality, and mental health. Uh And I'm blanking on some of the others, but as time goes on, I'm sure they'll come to mind. I don't have any doubt that it will. You don't have any notes in front of you. No, I don't. (laughs) I like the spontaneity of of radio (laughs) interviews. And and just in, in Magna's defense, I didn't contact in advance of the seminar and say, you know, can we find some time between the presentations to do an interview? But she graciously said, no, I'll I'll uh, carve out some time yes. and uh, share with American Indian Living and uh, all our listeners some 
great insights. She didn't say they'd be great insights. That was the conclusion I had already come to. So let's start by talking about lifestyle and mental health. Yes, let's start. Help us uh, kind of walk through that. What are the key lifestyle elements for good brain performance? Um, The same one, actually, that's good for physical health. Nutrition is like the foundation. That's what I call. I'd like to just add, um, there's a doctor. I think he has an MD and a PhD, Dr. Roger Walsh. About five years ago, he looked at the literature over 40 studies, meta-analysis of the literature, and he found that lifestyle factors can help people achieve optimal mental health. He didn't use that word, but that's Mm -hmm. what I concluded. They are just as effective as drugs and counseling. Wow. I should say medications and counseling. Am I saying don't use medication? No, I am not. I'm not saying not to get counseling. No, I am not. Uh But he just looked at the research and he found that these lifestyle, and he called them therapeutic lifestyle changes, TLCs, can be just as helpful for addressing some of these major mental health disorders as well as enhancing mental health. Well, I'm starting to put some things together because I know some things about you, Magna, that the listeners don't know yet. All right. And tell me if I've got this right. I I don't want to you know, disseminate any false information. But I understand that you at one time had your own uh, psychology practice, your private practice. It was actually a group practice, okay, but we were practice. all independent. Yeah. Okay. But you're no longer doing that. I am no longer doing that. Okay. And, I, and here's the connection I'm making. You're telling us right now that although that can be effective, yes. that there are other things that are at least equally effective. Mm-hmm. And I'm starting to connect the dots Perhaps that's why you're not in the clinical practice correct. because you're getting this information out to more people. You cor- you connected the dots very well. Okay. That's right. Now, in addition, just so our listeners know about you, you're not just the ordinary clinical psychologist who left the practice and is writing books and doing seminars, but you also have taught on university campuses. I have, yes. So you're a teacher, mm-hmm. educator, writer. And uh, you're telling us from the research that we have got to be serious about our lifestyle. We do. And nutrition is one of those foundations. It's very foundational. What does that look like? What's a good diet for mental health? Well, actually, what it's showing is the plant-based diet. Actually, the research says the Mediterranean diet, which mm-hmm. includes some fish. But the reason that the fish is there is because of the omega-3, and they're plant-based sources of omega-3. Okay. So getting that uh, as more much of a plant-based diet as you can have, the better your mental health because your brain loves the foods that come from the plants and thrives on them. Well, now I'm going to ask you a question, and this is a real sensitive question in Indian country because okay. if you say that this is something not good, I, I don't know what I'm going to say to my listeners, mm. but many parts of Indian country speak about three sacred foods. They call them the three sisters. Mm. They are corn and beans and squash. How would this fit into a healthy mental health diet? Wow, it's powerful. All of those are good. Okay, so this very good. So this native wisdom is uh, modern science yes, is saying is. this is something that uh, that is powerful for the brain. Powerful for the brain. Wow, that's right. Okay, so more corn, beans, and squash, and more other things that grow. Yes, from plant sources. That's right. That's right. So if someone gets that message, and they say, "Well, I don't really eat." that much in the way of animal products uh how do you how do you tell whether someone what that level is i mean someone maybe eats a little wild game or has some fish 
How do you know how much is too much? Is that a fair question to ask? I, I, I do, all I could say is there's good, better, and best. Okay. Okay. Good may include that, that you know, little bit of, of uh, flesh, uh, meat, uh-huh, here, uh-huh, dairy, uh-huh. whatever. Better may be less of that, and best is none of that. Oh, okay. So that's how I like to look at it. And so maybe for that person who's having more mental health issues, yes. they're going to need to get more serious more exactly. quickly. Exactly. Okay. And have you seen that in your practice? Oh, I have. I can give you story upon story. I mean, I, I can give you a story of a woman who, and this is what's so excited yeah, about yeah, what tell, I'm tell doing. Uh-huh. She was uh, molested history of molestation and people would say well how's that related to diet this woman had been to therapists and they have rehashed her story over and over again by the time she came to me it was towards my time of you know deciding to leave the practice and God had been working on me and helping me to I believe it was him speaking to me to say do some things differently anyway changed her diet plant-based put her on higher doses of omega-3 and other things that more carbs good carbohydrates she came and sat in front of me and at that time my name was Parks she said Dr. Parks, I feel better than before I was even dealing with all these issues just by changing her diet. I talked very little with her about her abuse because she had talked about that to several therapists. Mm -hmm. But just by changing her diet, she reported to me she was a nurse. People could see the difference at work. She wasn't taking as much mental health sick leave, doing much better. And just by changing diet. Just by changing diet. Now, this is just an aside, but, I mean, it's, it's relevant because you're talking about nurses. I've been shocked over the years. Now, maybe it's improving. Well, I don't know. In my experience working with nurses, it often seemed like there was always food around. Yes. You know, in the medical wards and the clinics, and uh, people are bringing food in, and it's usually not apples. <laughs> yes. I mean, you'd think that for us as health professionals, we'd be connecting these dots. I'm not going to say doctors are any better. Right. Why is it that it seems like the health professionals often haven't uh, internalized this message. Have you been able to put your finger on that? I don't know. I think they're just human beings, and I think human beings run towards the foods that feel and taste good. Mm. And they're just basically human beings, and you want, when you're rushing around and you're stressed out and you're going from patient to patient, you want a food that's going to give you a feel-good. And some of the refined carbohydrates will do that. They'll make you feel good for the moment, and that's what's convenient, and they just grab it. That's my assessment. Okay. Well, so we got to be eating more plant foods if we yes. want to have optimal brain health. Yes. You mentioned the omega-3 fats come in there. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, when most people hear omega-3 fat, they think fish. Yes. But you're saying there's other places we can get those? Yes. Tell us about Flax that. Flax seeds is, a, is an optimal source of omega-3, and grinding it, of course, when you do that. I've had stories. A woman was coming to me tearful, crying all the time, didn't know why. And Dr. DeRose, all I did, sometimes it's be- unbelievable to me to just say this, was I started her on adding one to two tablespoons of ground flax seeds to her diet every day. Promise you, that's all I did. In a few days, the tearfulness stopped. Really? That's it really all did. You did. That's all she did. She was just praising my name. And I said, you know, it's not me. It's just the diet that I know is the best for us. Huh. And after a few sessions, she stopped because she was the, the tearfulness stopped, which let me know that there was something more physiological going on than psychological. Huh. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So basically, you were on a trajectory of putting yourself out of business. That's what my, actually, the receptionist <laughs> said that to me. They said, Dr. Parks, if you keep doing this, you're lowering the amount of money coming in. But I felt better about what I was doing, even uh-huh. though it's not, it's not, you know, I'm not seeing people as long as I used to. Oh, this is amazing. So diet can go a long way. Anything else before we transition from the diet portion that you think is important for us to know? Carbs, good carbohydrates. Oh, okay. The woman at MIT, Judith Hortman, did a study, and she showed that 
I don't know how many people are going to be offended by this, but this high, this low carb diet thing mm -hmm. contributed to more depression because mm -hmm. the brain uses carbohydrates. And so she said, if you know, if you're dealing with any of those issues, you don't want to do low carb. You want to get good carbs to supply the fuel for your brain that you need. No, I mean, that's fascinating. I have seen some of the research of the Wortmans. And okay. Yeah, a lot of people don't realize just how important this is. I mean, the thing that really struck me in looking at some of their, their studies was how important it is to eat those high-carb diets to get the tryptophan yes. and tyrosine into the brain so you can make the serotonin, serotonin and the dopamine right. and all that. Yeah, so I appreciate you mentioning that because mm -hmm. I think a lot of people... You know, they hear people saying, oh, I'm doing great on this Atkins diet or yeah. this low-carb diet. And they really showed that this is not a healthy diet for your brain. That's right. Yeah, That's thanks right. so much for mentioning that. Anything else on, on the uh, mental health list? I know one that often comes up in medical circles that they ask about is B12. Is that oh. really as important? As, oh, uh, it is. It There's actually been um, some mile, I don't know how strong the research is, showing a connection between low B12 and um, some schizophrenia symptoms. Oh, really? Yeah, it's not really strong, so I don't uh -huh. talk a lot about that, but they, okay. they found that B12 supplementation can sometimes decrease some of the psychotic symptoms. Really? Hearing things, seeing things, hearing voices, I should say. Oh, wow. yes. Mm -hmm. And I've got some patients even though I have mainly a medical practice, mm -hmm. I have some patients with mental health issues. And, and that's a, a study that I, had not, uh, I had not heard about. Yeah, yeah. Good. Well, I'm so glad you're sharing practical things, not only for our listeners, but for me personally. So diet, important things. A lot of plant foods, omega-3 fats, B12 is important. Mm -hmm. Anything else we want to make sure that we get on that list of, of things we want to double-check our diet to make sure it includes? Sometimes iron, low iron, can contribute to depression. Mm. There's some um, research on that. And sometimes checking the folate levels can also be oh, important okay. as a form of vitamin B. So that comes to my mind immediately. Okay. Um, that can be helpful as well. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that too because the iron you know, from a medical practitioner standpoint, kind of a two-edged sword. Mm -hmm. Too much iron, they've shown connections with uh, everything from heart disease right. to even some of the neurodegenerative diseases right. like Parkinson's mm -hmm. and Alzheimer's. But I wasn't aware of the low iron connection mm -hmm. also with some mental health disorders. Yes. And yes. particularly, what did you depression. say? With depression. Yes. So that's the main one that seems if you're like anemic, you yes. get problems? Yes. Yes. Wow. So nutrition, incredibly important, mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to go much further than just going right to the garden and getting some food, some of those plants That's that you're right. growing. That's right, as easy as that. Is there a danger in people with mental health issues going out and gardening? There's a lot of good things that can come from gardening, and okay. we can share a little bit about that. Okay, we're going to talk more about lifestyle and other elements that can improve your mental health. I'm talking with Magna Parks Porterfield, Dr. Magna Parks Porterfield. She has a doctorate in uh, psychology. I guess more uh, precisely, it's the area of counseling psychology, and uh, she will be sharing with us uh, insights, more insights from her book, keys to optimal mental health. We'll be back with more. Stay tuned. I'm Dr. DeRose. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. This is Betty White. I know you don't need one more thing to worry about, but listen. High blood pressure can cause kidney damage, blindness, heart attack, stroke. And you can have high blood pressure even if you feel all right. 
One in seven adults has it, but it's easy to get your blood pressure checked, and you can treat it if it is too high. So don't worry about it. Don't ignore it. Just see your doctor and check it out. For your free booklet, visit the Will Rogers Institute at wrinstitute.org and find us on Facebook and Twitter. Emergency medical unit, respond to 102 Maple Avenue, possible stroke victim. When stroke occurs, you have 60 minutes to win or lose the race of your life. There are new treatments, but you must get to a hospital fast. If you suddenly feel weakness on one side, have trouble speaking, walking, or seeing, it could be a stroke. Call 911. Get to a hospital. Because how you spend the next 60 minutes could determine how you spend the rest of your life. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders in Stroke. If you receive disability benefits, keeping Social Security informed is key. Keeping us informed minimizes the chance that we learn about something later that could negatively affect your benefits. That's the surprise no one wants because it creates overpayments that you must repay, disrupts payments, and can even jeopardize your entitlement to Social Security benefits. Learn more about reporting responsibilities for people working and receiving disability or SSI benefits by reading our online publications, Working While Disabled, How We Can Help, and How Work Affects Your Benefits at www.socialsecurity.gov pubs. Some changes can be reported online at www.socialsecurity.gov. You can also notify us at 1-800-772-1213 or contact your local Social Security office. Our goal at Social Security is to pay you the right amount on time every month. With your cooperation to keep us informed of changes, the likelihood of any unpleasant surprises that could derail your benefits will be greatly minimized. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with Dr. David DeRose and with my special guest, Dr. Magna Parks Porterfield. Dr. Porterfield has her doctorate in psychology. She has uh, taught on the university level. She is an author. She's practiced uh, in the area of clinical psychology. And she's here sharing with us secrets to keep us out of uh, the psychologist's office. I so appreciate you doing that for us. So, Magna... We were speaking about the power of lifestyle to Mm -hmm. improve mental health, and you started us with the area of nutrition. You told us how foundational that was. And then I asked you a question about gardening, you know, people working with sharp tools and stuff out there. And you were suggesting even for people with mental health issues, this could be very beneficial. Why was that? Very beneficial. Um, One of the lifestyle things that Dr. Walsh found and that other researchers have found is that exercise is very important for mental health. Mm. There's a psychiatrist that actually wrote a book called Natural Prozac. I don't remember his name, but what he would do with with most of his patients was to put them on a walking program. But I like gardening even more than walking if it's possible because gardening gives people a sense of purpose Mm. and it also tends to divert their minds away from their difficulties. Tremendous, tremendous. So you get out there, you're working in the soil, you get frustrated that the weeds are there, and although that may be frustrating, you're pulling the weeds out, you can solve that problem a lot quicker than you can take care of that That's abuse right. in your past. Exactly, or exactly. Okay. So gardening is wonderful if you can get out and do that. 
What about other forms of exercise? Let's say someone's listening. Maybe they're Native American. Mm -hmm. They used to live on the res. Yeah, they say, we had a place where I could grow something. But now I'm living in a big city. I'm doing good just to put a pot on the balcony. Right. What do you do if you can't do any gardening? Are there other exercises that would help? Walking is ideal. If you just get out and start walking. You you may not be able to start out with the ideal is at least getting in an hour a day. If you can, if not, do as much as you can because consistency is important. Okay. Walking is important. Swimming has helped many people. Uh-huh. Um, biking for others. So just being able to get out and get the fresh air and the sunshine um, is going to be helpful for the brain and to al- allow you to have that mental well-being and good mental health. Okay. Now, now I'm a little confused because some people, when they hear exercise and they hear you know being on a bicycle or walking, they're thinking the treadmill. They're thinking the spinning class. They're not thinking outdoors, mm. fresh air, sunshine. Are, are you saying that it's actually better to do the exercise outdoors? That's right. It is. I like to call it killing three birds with one stone. Oh, my. Because you get, you're getting exercise, uh-huh. you're getting fresh air, and when it's sunny, you're getting sunlight. And these all help the mental health? All help mental health. Sunlight helps with vitamin D production, which the research is showing is very important when it comes to brain health. Okay. Serotonin is important, and the sunshine helps with production of serotonin. We know many of the antidepressants are focused on dealing with the serotonin production in our brains. Mm -hmm. And then the fresh air. You get more positive ions. You get the um, fresh air coming, providing more oxygen to the brain. So you're doing a lot if you can get outside and out of the gym or out of the home to exercise. Okay, well, then here's the next question. How about if someone says, I don't live in an area where it's safe to go outside. I'm in a busy city. Mm. It's not the best neighborhood. I can go to the health club. Is it still good to, if that's the best you can do, to do it it indoors? It's the same principle I talked about earlier. Good, better, best. Okay. It's best to be outside, but it's good to get exercise anywhere, Okay, even if it's a home and gym. So I'm putting together some of these lifestyle factors. You've talked with us about proper nutrition. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about exercise. You threw in there fresh air and sunshine. Yes. Is that pretty much the main lifestyle things, or is there well, more there to it? There is one major one, rest. Rest. Yes. Okay. Rest is so important. You've heard this, Dr. DeRose, about the, it's not only how much you sleep, but when you get sleep. Mm-hmm. Two hours of sleep before midnight is better than four hours of sleep after midnight. When I talk with my people, I try to get them asleep by 10 o'clock. Because okay. there's some wonderful things that go on in the brain that if we're not getting that sleep prior to midnight, we're missing out on some of these release of chemicals and production mm. of chemicals. And so when we get to sleep, it's also important as how much sleep we get. And, you know, the research varies on that. Seven to eight hours if you're an adult getting proper sleep with, does wonders for the brain. Okay. So if I'm cutting myself short on sleep, I'm doing my brain a disservice. Very much so. Very much so. Well, how about the person who says, look... I'm under so much stress and pressure, there's so much going on in my life, I can't afford to sleep that much. It would be better for my mental health for me to get four or five hours of sleep and get all these tasks done. Mm. Is that ever the case? Never is it the case. I'll just say it bluntly. In the short term, it may seem as though you're helping yourself by Uh getting all these tasks done, but you're depleting your brain health. You're depleting your brain energy, and in the long run, it's going to be hurtful. So you make your decision. Do you want to pay now or later is what I say to people. Okay. So it's kind of like that credit card. Yes. So you can keep putting charges on the credit card, but sooner or later, you're going to get in trouble if you're not. That's right. Okay. Okay. So... Five lifestyle elements, nutrition, exercise, sunshine, fresh air, rest. That pretty much cover the most important ones. And there's water. We need a lot of water. I remember working with a 16-year-old girl, and uh-huh. uh, her, she came in mildly de- depressed. I started her drinking more water, not 
for hopes of dealing with her depression just because I asked people about their general mm-hmm. lifestyle. Mm-hmm. She started drinking. Mm-hmm. She was under the care of her grandmother. The grandmother comes in and says, what have you been doing my, with my daughter? We only met two times. I says, mm-hmm. all I've done is ask her to start drinking more water. She says she's doing that, and I see a marked change in her behavior. Really? So sometimes our brains are just dehydrated, and we need more water. The brain is mostly made up of water when we're not replenishing that. So that can cause some mental issues as well. Now, you're making this sound too simple, Magna. <laughs> so you really mean that there's people listening to this show? Yes. We're just drinking more water, yes. grinding up some flax seeds, throwing them on their, their food. It could make a measurable difference in I've mental health. I've seen it. I know that it can. I've seen it in my work. Wow. I've seen it in my life. Wow. I mean, it's exciting because a lot of people think their back is against the wall. I mean, there's some people in Indian country on reservations. I mean, they may be... Some of these reservations, as you well know, are very large, Mm -hmm. and they may not have easy access to mental health services. Other people, even if the reservation they're on or the urban area they're in, they're far from uh, access, maybe just because of constraints of transportation or finances. Basically, there's a lot they can do, just simple things. Yes, very simple. Well. We've been talking a lot about lifestyle, Mm -hmm. and when you laid out the show for us at the beginning, you said you were hoping to talk about lifestyle and mental health, Mm -hmm. but you also wanted to tell us about how we think, self-control, conscience, post-traumatic growth, religion and spirituality. I'm looking at the clock, and I'm saying, (laughs) we've got to keep moving. How we think. How does that make a difference, Dr. Parks Porterfield? Well, you know, a wise man says years, years ago, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. He wrote this over... 4,000 years ago. And psychologists over the last 50 years have started to realize that a lot of times we suffer with anxiety, with stress, with depression because of things that we're telling ourselves. Mm. And so they're starting to come up with therapies such as cognitive behavior therapy or looking at our self-talk, helping people to understand what am I telling myself that's leading me to feel depressed? What am I telling myself that's leading to this worry or that's Mm. stressing me out? And so we can start to do that ourselves. often ask people, spend a few days and just start to write down some of the thoughts that come to your mind. And people are amazed at the things that are telling themselves that's contributing to their emotional well-being or taking away from emotional well-being or contributing to whatever diagnosable disorder they're dealing with. It's amazing how our thoughts can affect us. But don't most people say when you bring that subject up, they say, well, I don't tell myself anything. (laughs) Yes, they do. Most of them do. And I have to start to challenge them with the specific things that we may be talking about and saying to them, what do you think you're telling yourself about this particular situation? And Uh as I press them, as Uh we press Uh them, they can come up with things that they're telling themselves. I might have to give them examples. But, yes, most people are saying to to me, no, I'm not telling myself anything. Well, walk us through that. Give us an example of some issue someone might have and what kind of questions you would ask them. Okay. Someone that I was dealing with just the other day, she's dealing with issues of guilt because of several abortions that she had. Okay. And she's struggling with the guilt, and she she feels terrible about it. She's depressed about it. So I started to say, what are you telling yourself about these various things that you, these Mm. abortions that you've had? And she says, I don't know. And I said, well, what do you think about yourself as a result of this? She says, I'm a terrible person. Mm. I'm the worst person in the world because of these things that I've done. And so we kind of talked about that, and, and and I kind of, pushed her a little and she says, well, I really don't feel good about myself. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about how these things that she's saying to herself is contributing to what she's feeling about these bad things she's done in the past. Mm -hmm. And so I'm working with her on changing that 
and, and starting to say uh, things such as, I've done these bad things, but I don't have to live there anymore. I can mm-hmm. move past that and I can accept forgiveness. For me, that forgiveness would come from God. I can co- accept God's forgiveness and recognize that as he looks at me, he doesn't see that person because he's forgiven me. And so we're starting to work on that. And she actually reported to me the other day how freeing that has become, starting to tell herself more of that than I'm such a terrible person because I did these terrible things in the past. Mm -hmm. So, of course, some people in that situation may not come at it from a a religious perspective. That's right. And they might not believe in a God. Right. Uh, can you help a person like oh, that? Oh, yes. I mean, just looking at, I like to help people to understand how much, it, how important it is for us to respect ourselves and value ourselves mm-hmm. because we're here on this earth. Mm-hmm. I don't even have to mention God sometimes. These things that you're telling yourself does not increase your sense of self-value. It doesn't increase your sense of self-worth and self-respect. So let's say things that will enhance that, such as, I am, I'm an okay person. Everyone makes mistakes. No one is perfect, but mm-hmm. it doesn't mean I have to live based on these mistakes. Wow. Magna Parks Porterfield is sharing with us some amazing insights into improving our own mental health. She's got a lot more information to share, and the real good news is even though we may not be able to uh, tap into all her wisdom, I'm sure we won't over the course of the remaining half hour in the show, she's got an excellent resource, a, a book that is just hot off the press. We're going to be giving you information about how you can get a copy of that book. It's involved, uh, It's available, actually, in print as well as in uh, Kindle edition. We're going to have that information when we come back, as well as more insights into how you can change your mental health history by simple things. Keys to Optimal Mental Health. We've got a lot more coming up on today's edition of American Indian Living. Don't go away. We will be right back. American Indian Living will continue in a moment. If you have questions or comments about today's pre-recorded broadcast, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. So, you want to be a hero. Here are some ways to get the job. Hunt down that killer shark. Or run into a burning house to save a kitten. Luckily, there's an easier way to become a hero. Call 911 if you see someone experiencing the symptoms of stroke, sudden weakness on one side, or trouble speaking, walking, or seeing. Stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. You'll be a real hero. A message from the National Institute of Neurological Disorders and Stroke. Can you guess what's going on here? It's kids getting fit. Studies show that children and teens who get at least 60 minutes of physical activity a day reduce the risk of obesity, heart disease, anxiety, and increase their overall mood. So whether it's around your neighborhood or at school, just get out and play. For your free booklet, visit WRInstitute.org or call toll-free 877-957-7575 and find us on Facebook and Twitter. The Will Rogers Institute since 1936. My name is Tom Thornton. And my name is Cindy Thornton. We're retired, and this is how we live United. We decided to volunteer with United Way at our community free health clinic. United Way is how we contribute. Because we know our time and money are going to the right places. Judging by the thank yous we get at the clinic, I'd say we're doing the right thing with our retirement, too. We're Tom and Cindy Thornton. We volunteer at our community free health clinic. We don't just wear the shirt. We live it. Give. Advocate. Volunteer. Live United. Go to liveunited.org. Brought to you by United Way and the Ad Council. Diabetes affects more than 29 million Americans. If left untreated, diabetes can lead to serious health problems such as heart disease, stroke, blindness, and kidney disease. 
Your family's health history can be an important factor in determining your risk of developing diabetes. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you and your family. Do all you can to prevent or delay the onset of type 2 diabetes. Visit yourdiabetesinfo.org to learn more. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You are back with the second half of today's edition of American Indian Living. Dr. David DeRose recording one in a series of shows from the campus of Uchi Pines Institute in Alabama. We're just over the uh, Georgia-Alabama line just outside of Columbus, Georgia, if you know the geography, uh, several hours uh, from Atlanta, and it's been a great opportunity. We're uh, speaking to uh, a number of people who've come to a seminar from all over the country. Dr. Magna Parks Porterfield is one of the presenters, as I am, and we've pulled away from the activities of the day, hiding out in a, uh, actually they have a studio, a radio studio, here on the campus of Uchi Pines Institute, and we're talking about keys to optimal mental health. Magna, before we uh, left for the break, I promised our listeners that we would give them information about how to get your latest book. How do they do that? They can go straight to my website. That's www.bingoodhealth.com. It actually should be B in good health. There's no E after the B. Bingoodhealth.com. Oh, and my okay. resources are there. Let me see if I've got this. So the name of your organization that you work under is called B in Good Health. That's it. But the website doesn't have the E after the B. That's correct. So it's just like BIN. BIN, good health. Okay, yes. B-I-N. So B, for the letter B, mm-hmm. in goodhealth.com. That's right. And if I go there, I will find the book? Yes. I can, and cl- it, do I order it directly from you? Is that a link to uh, Amazon or something? How does if that you go work? to the website, you'll order it directly from me, but you can also order it from Amazon Same as well. Same price? Same price. Okay. If I get it from you... Are you going to sign it for me, too? I can do so if you ask me. Oh, okay. <laughs> so beingoodhealth.com, and you've also got a Kindle edition. I do, yes. That one you can only get through Amazon. Okay, so if I go to Amazon and I've got a Kindle, uh, or I want to use it on my computer, yes. I mean, you can get the Kindle app and you know read it on your computer. Is that going to be more cost-effective? About the same price. Um, I think it's a little less. The Kindle is a dollar or two less. Okay, okay. So it's not going to put me out a lot of money? It will not. How much does the book list for? $8. Oh, okay. I think we can handle that. Yes. com. Is that pretty much all that's on that website? Um, well, I have a few little pieces of information about mental health. Not mm-hmm. much. But do you have other books or resources? I do. I have books on... Um, looks at some aspects of psychology that we might want to be careful about. And I have a little book on treating depression naturally. And that's all there on the website? All there on the website and a few DVDs as well. Oh, okay. So we can get your DVDs, we can get your books. What about, um, do you do a lot of speaking on the road like this? I do. I do. I speak. I I love doing seminars because I kind of look at science and, you know, other inspired writings and put it together and talk about mental health from a perspective that people may not always hear. Okay. And so if I go to be in good health, the B-I-N, goodhealth.com. You can contact me. I contact you. Yes. And I can get you to come out to California maybe? Yeah, sure can. Okay. I don't have a lot of clout out there. I'm running around so much. I think people are more... (laughs) 
wondering whether I'm going to be back home soon or not. But anyway, uh, that is exciting, Magna. We got to go back though and talk about some more of these topics mm-hmm. because you really gave us an amazing roadmap. I know it's all covered in your book, uh, Keys to Optimal Mental Health. But I am especially interested in something that I know resonates throughout Indian country. There's a lot of discussion about historical trauma mm. and a lot of concerns that many of the wounds of the past are continuing to visit those indigenous peoples of this continent. There's some interesting research, though, suggesting, tell me if I'm right, that the trauma in our own lives or in the past might be able to be channeled to positive ends. Yes. Is this really true? It's very true. Tell us about that. There's actually about 20 years ago, I don't remember the name of the two psychologists, but they came up with a concept known as post-traumatic growth. Mm -hmm. We hear a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder, Mm -hmm. but they started to look at how adversity can actually make us stronger. And the idea behind that was we spent so much time looking at the disorders and deficiencies and the weaknesses, but they said, you know what, we need need to start looking at some of the things that can actually help us to be stronger. Okay. And one of the things that they connect with post-traumatic growth is something called resilience. Mm -hmm. And for our listeners, resilience may be a a word that they've heard, or for those who have not, it's basically being able to bounce back from adversity. Okay. So the idea is the more you build your resilience, the better you can, if I can use this word, benefit or grow from any kind of traumatic experience that you've had in your life. So someone has experienced maybe in their own life, maybe in their culture, maybe their tribe, whatever it is, some really bad things yes. in the past. Yes. That's part of their consciousness. It's part of who they I, who they see themselves as. Mm-hmm. You are actually saying that right now, today, a person can do certain things to increase their resilience that will actually help those things instead of dragging them down, help build them up? Yes. Well, how do you do this? I can tell you several things. I wish we had time to talk about all of that. Changing the mindset from being a victim to an overcomer. Hmm. Sometimes when we go through difficulties, we hurt ourselves by staying in a a mode of, look at what they have done to me. Look at how they've mistreated me. And it's true. We can't ignore the fact that certain groups of people have been mistreated. That's the reality. We We don't want to minimize that. But in terms of the individuals in those groups, if they start to look at those situations and say, I, I can overcome this or I have overcome this. I'm not going to allow this these experiences to pull me down. I'm going to see how I can be a better person from this. How can I help others who are dealing with the same thing? Looking at ways that you can um, be more of a victor than a victim. Changing that mm-hmm. mindset can mm-hmm. help you to grow from that experience. So, I mean, it's one thing to talk about it. Yes. But it's another thing to actually do it, right? Yes. So someone's hearing this message, okay, I mean, this sounds great. And and you, as far as your cultural roots, I mean, if someone's talking about historical trauma, yeah. I mean, you have some of that That's same right. thing as in your background, American, right? As an African-American, yes. Okay. Slavery, yes. So basically, you know what this is like. You're not just talking from reading a textbook. Right. So what is it? What kind of, as a psychologist, what do you walk people through that helps to switch them from victim to victor? Well, actually, one of the things I do is strengthen the brain. 
There's research that shows that um, we're going back to lifestyle, but it's actually related. People who are more active, they exercise more, it actually helps them to withstand trauma and stress better. Hmm. Research shows that. Physical exercise. Physical exercise. I can give you a personal example if yeah, you don't mind. Tell me, tell I me. lost my first husband five and a half years ago. Wow. He died suddenly, 49 years old, uh, AV malformation. The day after my husband died, I was out walking because this was something that I knew would help me. And I continued to engage in a regular walking exercise. And people were amazed. Now, I don't take any credit to myself, uh-huh. but uh, people were amazed. They said, your resilience seems wonderful and strong. And I knew it was because of some of these lifestyle things mm-hmm. I was doing, exercise mm-hmm. in particular, that helped me to clear my mind and to be out in nature and to be able to move away from the, the grief I was dealing mm-hmm. with. So I, I, I have people do some of that. I have them to become more active. I also have people write things that they're grateful for. I did a lot of that because it moves you away from the experience. Sometimes we get so bogged down with the negative experience. So I want them to do something to distract themselves from focusing on that negative experience. Mm -hmm. And there's so much research on there on gratitude. Mm -hmm. I I kept a gratitude journal after I helped my, um, lost my husband. And Uh I tell the people, write people, write a gratitude journal, keep journal every day about what you're grateful for. I'm grateful that I'm, I'm still living. I'm grateful that if you have children, my children are around. I'm grateful that I Uh have supportive friends. In Uh fact, that's another one too. Developing a good support system. Oh, okay. Very important for they show the research shows that people who are lonely are less likely to grow from a tra- trauma than people who are socially connected. Mm. Get involved in some civic group, some community group, some volunteer group mm-hmm. that again you can kind of pull your mind away from your grief and your trauma and help someone else. So, I mean, I can't imagine the scenario. Basically, uh, for those of our listeners who aren't familiar with the AV malformation, it's an arteriovenous malformation. So it's where the blood vessels are kind of wired wrong. Yeah. Uh, it's a common cause of stroke. And I'm presuming that your husband just had a massive bleed or he stroke did. in That's the brain. That's exactly what happened. And so just, I mean, one day he was probably healthy and yes. the next day he's dead. That's it. Uh, it would be very easy in a situation like that for you to feel a victim. That's right. And that I just can't go on. And I mean, I've actually, I'm thinking of a patient that I have in my practice right now. I think her husband died not as suddenly, mm-hmm. but several years ago. And she's still, you know, dealing with some of these issues. Yes. So this is not uncommon. It is not. And basically, uh, I'm just going to ask you a question, Magna. Mm-hmm. Did you feel... Like you wanted to go exercising the day after your husband died. Very not. Uh-huh. Very much not. In fact, the thing about post-traumatic growth, they say it's a um, you struggle with highly challenging circumstances. And I like mm. to emphasize to people, it's a struggle. It's a struggle. You will still feel pain. You will still feel fear. You will still feel feel a sense of loss. But the thing is that you are not acting based on the feeling. You're making a decision that I'm going to do this even though I feel horrible. I don't want to do it, but it's an exercise of the will. No, I did not feel like exercising. Actually, many days I wanted to just stay and pull the covers mm-hmm. over my head mm-hmm. and hope that maybe I wouldn't wake up the next morning. Mm-hmm. But I was determined that I was going to use this as an obstacle of growth. That's tremendous. Let me ask another question because Mm -hmm. it relates to this. We've been speaking about physical exercise. I've heard a lot of people talk over the years about the value of, and you alluded to this, you know, with social health, getting involved in other people's lives. So after a loss, like you said, the tendency is to withdraw. But um, I've heard talk about volunteering, of doing things where you're giving to others when you feel like you have nothing to give. Is this 
true? Very much, very much so. Um, there's so much research out there uh, under the title of altruism mm. that's showing how giving to others, actually there's research that shows that people do better mentally by giving than by getting. Huh. So we should be looking, when we feel like we've got nothing to give, we should be looking for someone we can give to. That's right. And I've often told people over the years, look for someone worse off than you. Mm, that's very good advice. Oh, good. I was hoping you'd say that, <laughs> not, not correct me, you know, because I don't know who all I told that to. Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about post-traumatic growth. Any other things that are really important when we speak about that subject? Forgiveness. Oh. Powerful in terms of getting over traumas. Uh If people have been, I've worked with people who've been molested and and abused, and it's a tender, sensitive issue, but at some point I get to talk to them about thinking about how they can actually forgive those who has hurt them. Mm. And the research shows that when we forgive, it actually reduces the impact of the trauma. Hmm. Forgiveness and gratitude are two things that reduces the impact of the trauma, and it actually helps us to be able to deal with the trauma better. So forgiveness is a key important for post-traumatic growth. Now, a lot of people get confused when we talk about forgiveness. So if there's a family member that's been abusive, we're not talking about necessarily, uh, quote, forgiving and showing how much you've forgiven by going back into that abusive relationship. Not at all. Not at all. So what is, how do you differentiate between those things? Forgiveness is actually the word breaking down, forgive. You're actually doing something for yourself. Mm. Holding on to that anger and that resentment is actually hurting you. I've heard somebody say it well. You've probably heard this, Dr. DeRose. When we hold on to anger and um, resentment towards someone else, it's like drinking poison and hoping someone else will die. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I talk to people about letting go of that resentment, uh-huh. saying, I am not going to allow you to have control over my life anymore by me continuing to feel this anger and resentment towards you. I'm going to let that go. Now, that does not mean that we don't set proper boundaries and barriers because Mm -hmm. if this person has not dealt with their issues, you don't want to expose yourself to them anymore. Mm -hmm. But for you, you don't want to be holding on to this person has hurt me and, you know, uh, ruminating on that. You want to let that go. Wow. Dr. Magna Parks Porterfield, she's sharing with us some keys to optimal mental health. She's got more to share. Even though uh, we've only got one more segment in today's edition, you don't want to miss it. Some key things that you can do, some things that if you don't stay tuned, you're going to miss out on some other important things. More information, too, about how you can get Dr. Uh, Parks Porterfield to your own venue, get her resources. Stay tuned. We'll have that all coming up in our final segment. Stay tuned. Today's broadcast has been pre-recorded. However, if you have questions about today's show or would like further information, please call 1-800-775-HOPE. That's 1-800-775-4673. We'll be right back after this. One day, I'll teach chemistry to kids. I'm going to be an architect. My dream is to be a chef. At the U.S. Department of Education's Office of Federal Student Aid, we provide more than $150 billion each year in grants, loans, and work-study funds, making higher education possible for anyone at any stage of life. I can go back to college. I can change careers. I can make a difference. Federal Student Aid, proud sponsor of the American Mind. Learn more about money for college at studentaid.gov. Diabetes is a serious disease that runs in families. If your parents or siblings have type 2 diabetes, you have a greater chance of getting the disease. If you're African American, Hispanic, or Latino, American Indian, Alaska Native, Asian American, Native Hawaiian, or Pacific Islander, 
you also have a higher chance of developing the disease. The National Diabetes Education Program wants to help you understand your risk. Visit the NDEP website at yourdiabetesinfo.org for diabetes prevention tools, including the Family Health History Quiz. It started off as a normal day. I felt fine when I arrived at the plant. Ruth Junius's life was about to change. Then I dropped my keys. They kept slipping out of my hand. My arm felt numb. A co-worker asked me if I was okay, and I couldn't speak. I started to get scared. Ruth was having a stroke. People around her weren't sure what to do. They thought I should go home or lie down, but I knew something was very wrong. I wrote 911 on a piece of paper with my other hand, and someone called for me. Because everyone acted quickly, doctors at the hospital were able to give Ruth treatment that started to reverse the symptoms. Within a few minutes, I was talking again. I didn't know a thing about stroke before I had one. Now I make sure that my friends and family know all the signs of stroke so they'll get help fast if they need it. No stroke. Know the signs. Act in time. Call 1-800-352-9424 for more information. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, National Institutes of Health. You're listening to Dr. David DeRose on American Indian Living. Your comments and questions are welcome. Call now at 1-800-775-HOPE, 1-800-775-4673. Here again is Dr. DeRose. You're back for our final segment of American Indian Living. I'm Dr. David DeRose. Sitting across from me, as has been the case from the beginning of the show, is Dr. Magna Parks Porterfield. She has her doctorate in counseling psychology. She's been sharing with us things that she's taught in university classrooms and things that are included in her new book, Keys to Optimal Mental Health. Magna, since I've mentioned uh, the book again, how about one more time giving us that uh, contact information where we could pick up a copy of the book? I would be glad to. You could go to www.belikeboyingoodhealth.com. So that's beengoodhealth.com. And uh, resources are there, and I welcome you to check us out. And you have a link there, too, where I can contact you personally. Oh, yes. you can. There's a link there for personal contact. Or if not, you could just do info at beingoodhealth.com. Okay, and those are ways to get a hold of you. Yes. Mm-hmm. And basically, if someone wanted you to come out to a community center, come out to a reservation, do a mental health seminar, you'd be willing to do that. Very much willing to do so. So what is that? I have a question. What does that usually look like? Do you like to come out for a day, or how does that work? A couple of lectures? I usually come out to do at least three or four lectures. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I can, I'm, can get out more information that way. But if it's just one day, I'm just open to whatever the needs are with whoever's calling. I'm pretty much open. So the website is B, the letter B, then the words ingoodhealth.com. And if I wrote to info at beingoodhealth.com, I'd get you as well. You sure would. Okay, I got that. We've got more material, though, we want to cover. You talked with us at the very beginning of the show that one of the keys to optimal mental health was self-control. Yes. Why is that so important? Oh, it's so important. You know, the research shows that there, well, actually people have written about this, that there's many intelligent people out in the world, uh, talented people, but um, some of the problems that come about is because they don't know how to self-regulate. That's what the psychologists Mm -hmm. use. Mm -hmm. Their emotions, their thoughts, their habits, and that prevents them from advancing as far in life as they can, and that includes Mm -hmm. their mental health. Okay. So a lot of times when I hear Mm self-control, at least as a physician, I'm thinking of patients who tell me, well, I don't have the self-control to stop smoking Mm -hmm. or I don't have the willpower to change my diet. Mm -hmm. But you're saying 
it's a much broader concept than just how it relates to your lifestyle choices. Oh, yes. It's much broader. It's about emotions. Mm-hmm. Some of us don't have self-control with our emotions. Some of us don't have self-control with our thoughts. We just allow our thoughts to go haywire. And, and learning how to better control that is um, a key for optimal mental health. So it's, again, one thing to say, have more self-control. Yeah. But most of the time we talk about self-control, and when I hear it used, it's people saying they don't have it. So right. how do they get it? Well, you know, there's a good book that I read by Dr. Roy Baumeister. He talks about willpower. And in there, he kind of collated, put together some of the research on enhancing men's mental, um, sorry, self-control. Mm-hmm. And so I use these when I work with people. And one of the things I found is, if I could just give a tip that I yeah, give to people, yeah. finding someone to whom you can be accountable. Very important for self-control. When we just make um, resolutions within our own self, I'm going to do this better, it's not as strong as if I find someone to say, you know, I really would like to, even with some of the things you're talking about with your patients, I really would like to walk more. I would like to exercise Mm -hmm. more. Can you hold me accountable for that? Can you call me once a week to see how much I've exercised? And the research shows that that actually increases self-control in that particular area. Well, but now this is dangerous, isn't it? I mean, if you tell someone you're doing something, then if you fail, it'll be embarrassing, won't it? Well, the thing is, um, it will be, but the thing, the idea is that that is actually a motivator to prevent you from feeling okay, that guilt okay. and embarrassment. Okay, yeah. okay. And you want someone who's going to not bash you over the head too much, but just mm-hmm. encourage you. You know, you didn't do well this week, Magna. You could do better next week. Okay. So basically, one key is getting that uh, accountability partner, perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yes. Any other keys to improving your self-control? Actually distracting yourself, finding something to distract yourself. Hmm. For example, if you Mm -hmm. are very, you have a hard time managing, I just throw this out, sadness. You just tend to fall down into the dumps all the time. Uh Finding something to distract yourself from those feelings. You're feeling sad. uh, Let me make a call to somebody right now. Or let me go out and do something that I like to do. Some type Uh of distraction activity can also increase self-control as well. And does it help to have a plan, what you're going to do? It does, prior to you falling into that. Thank oh, you for okay. bringing that up, Dr. Okay. Dumont. Very important to have a plan. Can I mention a study that was done oh, in terms of distraction? Sure, Dr. Sure. Walter Michel did a study. Some people might have heard of this. It's called the marshmallow test, where he had children, and he placed one marshmallow before them. He left the room, and he says, if you don't eat this marshmallow in 15 minutes, I'll be back with two marshmallows. Okay. And the ones, it was interesting, Dr. DeRose, the ones who ate the marshmallow, they followed them for years afterwards. They were less well-adjusted to life, more likely to use alcohol and substances. They were not as happy. But the ones who stopped, engaged in self-control, did not eat that one marshmallow and waited for the two marshmallows. They did much better in life, not only mentally, but in terms of their career and in terms of their emotions and everything else. Mm. So the idea is, and and the reason I brought this up with distraction, because they watched the children from a one-way mirror and they Uh found that the children who didn't eat the marshmallow actually did things to distract themselves. They looked around the room, they they sang a little song, but they didn't look at the marshmallow. Ah. And that helped them to exercise more self-control. So what I'm saying is some of the times we are so focused on that particular area of that we're having problems with, we need to distract ourselves, not focusing on that, but find something that's going to distract our minds, and we will not be thinking about that particular thing that, that is tempting to us. So are you telling me that one of my patients who may want to stop smoking 
they shouldn't walk around saying, I'm not going to smoke, I'm not going to smoke. That's exactly what I'm saying. Okay. They should walk around saying, I'm going to do something else. Uh-huh. You know, uh-huh. something else that that can divert them from that smoking as opposed to the... Well, it's so powerful because most people, when they think of what they're not going to do, they're focusing on what they're not going to exactly. do. And that's all they're thinking that's about, right. isn't it? That's right. Okay. Any other keys to self-control? I mean, I'm sure there's many, but there's... any others that we you think we really need to talk about right One now? One thing is looking at the long-range goal. You know, when Mm. we're making decisions, what is your long-range goal? My long-range goal is that I am going to, um, the easiest thing might be diet, so we'll just talk about that. I'm Mm. not going to eat this piece of cake when I go to this party. I'm not going to have any cake, or I'll only have this one piece of cake. And you're making a long-range goal because I'm trying to lose weight, or I'm trying to become healthier. So I'm going to keep this long-range goal. You plan it beforehand, because Uh they call it pre-commitment strategy. You plan it beforehand, and then when you go there, you make the decision to follow through with that plan. Okay. So basically, what do you think of this? You know, I've heard this before. Do you think there's an overstatement? I've heard it said when it comes to lifestyle issues, those who fail to plan are planning to fail. Is there really truth in that? It's very true. A lot of times we fall into ditches, so to speak, and we really fall because we're not planning our lives. We're not planning our strategies. So planning is very important with this. Magna, My listeners on American Indian Living come from all different spiritual walks. Mm -hmm. There are people from traditional Native uh, spirituality practices. There are people who have embraced Christianity. There's people who may identify themselves as agnostics or atheists. I mean, it's the whole gamut. You mentioned religion and spirituality as having a bearing on mental health. Is, Is there something that cuts across those various denominational lines, if you will, that is worth talking about? Very much so. Believing that there is a being more powerful than you Mm. is very important because it's been found that people who have that belief, their stress levels are lower. Mm. Some some of their anxiety and depression is lower because they recognize that in of themselves they cannot do this. So they look to a higher being to give them help. And they also recognize that the control of their lives is simply not in their hands, but it's also in a being more powerful and stronger than them. And the research shows that their mental health is better because of this belief. Now, it's one thing to say that and, and look at the research, but how about if someone says, I just don't think there is a God. I mean, I see all this evil in the world. I mean, if you're dealing with a patient like that, is that something you would address or would you say, well, why don't you check, you know, talk with some spiritual leader? Or how do you deal with that as a clinical psychologist? Well, it depends on where they are. If they're willing, I believe in the Bible. And if they're mm-hmm. willing to go to the Bible, we start to talk about the origin of evil and, and mm-hmm. you know, why we're here and um, some of the human explanations. If You know, sometimes it just takes a lot of divine work. But we talk about that. And sometimes they're open. And if they're not, I just have to walk them gently through the process. Well, I'll just tell you personally, because, you know, you don't know me that well, even though we've met a couple of times. I was at one time in my life as a young adult, what I would call an agnostic. I didn't know if there was a God. And I did actually what you're talking about. I started looking at the Bible and I was looking at Bible prophecy. Mm. And I just came to the conclusion as I studied that, that that there had to be some higher power. Because there's no way those things could have just been mentioned five, six hundred years or more before they happened. And they just happened you know, to the letter. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, is is that... It's very powerful. Yes, that's very powerful. In fact, I'm glad you brought that up. With one person, he was actually interested in studying more about Daniel. Okay. And we did a little bit about that, and it kind of opened up his eyes to some things because we can see where things that were predicted did come to pass. Wow. So that's powerful. Yes. Well, Magna, our time has just about uh, slipped away. 
Do you have any uh, final insights for us as we're closing out the show? Well, you started out with saying something, and, and I want to emphasize that. There are some simple things that we can do. We have the power to manage our own mental health. Mm-hmm. Oftentimes we go to mental health professionals, to health professionals, and they can be very helpful. But there's some things that we actually have in our own hands that we can do to enhance our mental well-being. And, and uh, I'm not saying to be your own doctor. But (laughs) I do know that there are some things we can do, and I want to encourage those listening to try some of these things that we've spoken about. Thank you so much, Magna. Magna Parks Porterfield, Ph.D. You can get more from her at her website, beingoodhealth.com. That's B, the letter B, ingoodhealth.com, including her new book, Keys to Optimal Mental Health. We have got to run. That's all for today's edition of American Indian Living. For all of us, as always, I'm Dr. David DeRose, wishing you the very best of health. Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.